The Miami Heat have a distinct advantage. It's called the South Beach Flu, where teams who stay the night in Miami before their game maybe enjoy the nightlife a bit too much, and it has an effect on how they play the following day. Well, tonight in Miami, the Sacramento Kings did not suffer the South Beach Flu, and yet still do what they always do, come up short against the Heat in their own building, We'll break it down right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets. If your best bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News. When I think South Beach flu, I think teams coming out and looking lethargic, teams coming out and looking unfocused, tired, a step slow, not ready to play. And those are all things that I can't use to describe how the Sacramento Kings played tonight in their 115-106 to loss to the Miami Heat. What I think happened tonight was not a case of the South Beach flu. What I think it was was a case of the Sacramento Kings being the Tylenol to the flu that the Miami Heat have been battling. The Miami Heat came into tonight's game losing seven straight. And like we've seen so many times for the Sacramento Kings in their history, when a team is struggling, they tend to turn things around against Sacramento. Maybe it's a wounded dog way to expect this game to go, but a lot of Kings fans predicted a loss tonight, seeing that both the Heat came into this game on a seven-game losing streak, and the Sacramento Kings came into this game 5-30 and 30 all-time in Miami. Of course, with this loss, they now fall to 5-31. and 31. The Heat shot 50% from the field tonight and 13-28, of 28, which is 46% from three-point range. It was a get-right game for the Heat, and unfortunately, it snapped a four-game uh, win streak for the Sacramento Kings. Once again, 10 games over 500 eludes them. There's still eight games over 500, still sitting comfortably uh, in that fifth spot in the Western Conference standings at this point in time. But it was a very winnable game for Sacramento. They did a lot of things I thought right. I mean, we're going to spend some time here weighing the good and the bad from this game. I'll start with something that started out bad, a continuation of the Memphis Grizzlies game, and ended up actually pretty good. The Grizzly, or against the Grizzlies, the Kings turned the ball over 19 times. If you listen to that episode of Locked on Kings after that game, you know I was frustrated. The most frustrated I've been maybe ever after a Kings win here on the Locked on Kings podcast. So much so, you th guys thought that maybe I went a little too over the top with that reaction. That's fine if you feel that way. I was not happy with how I saw the Sacramento Kings playing. I thought they were shooting themselves in the foot too much. I thought 19 turnovers was inexcusable against any team, but especially a team that was missing 11 players like the Memphis Grizzlies were. 
The Kings started out tonight. Their first possession was a turnover by De'Aaron Fox. They ended the first quarter with five turnovers as a team, all of them to the guards. They ended the game with just nine turnovers. So they turned the ball over five times to start this game. For the rest of the game, they took control of the basketball. They took care of the basketball. Now, certain guys, like Malik Monk, for example, still turn the ball over a little bit too much. But overall, I like to see the Sacramento Kings make an adjustment from that, that sloppy start to doing well, protecting the basketball for the remainder of the game. Something that looked like it was going to carry over from Memphis, the Kings made an in-game adjustment, adapted, and what they didn't do was shoot themselves in the foot, right? The Miami Heat certainly have good defensive players. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, players that will disrupt Sacramento. But a lot of the turnovers that the Kings have been suffering, especially recently, have been self-inflicted wounds. Those turnovers in the first quarter were very much self-inflicted. Bad passes, miscommunication, just mental mistakes by Sacramento. They sharpened those up. Lo and behold, they, really, they, they rarely turn the ball over for the remainder of the game. It's not a moral victory. The Sacramento Kings still lost. This should be the expectation, though, is that the Kings take care of the basketball as good as they did in the final three quarters of this game. I thought Sacramento had some really, really good defensive moments in this game. Certain guys made big plays. Keegan Murray has emerged statistically as the best isolation defender in the league. NBA University put out the stat that he is average, or he is holding uh, players in isolation sets to the lowest field goal percentage out of anybody in the league. When you one-on-one -on -one Keegan Murray, Keegan's been winning that battle more often than not. Speaks to the tremendous growth that he has had this season. He had some good defensive moments. I don't know why he didn't start defending uh, Jimmy Butler. It was Harrison Barnes' task early on, and Jimmy Butler got off to a good start. Butler ended up scoring 31 points tonight to lead the, uh, the, the Miami Heat in scoring. Whether it was Keegan Murray with some good defensive moments, Kevin Herter, I thought, had some really good defensive moments. De'Aaron Fox had a good moment of, of stripping Jimmy Butler and getting out in transition. Like The Kings had good defensive moments and fought hard, I thought, on the defensive end of the floor. The problem is offensively, they struggled mightily. They shot 12 of 40 from three-point range, which is 30%. They also shot in the 60s again from the free throw line. But this Kings team could not hit from three-point range. You know the saying, they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. It's fitting seeing as how Miami is right on the water there in South Beach, or, or at least uh, their arena is right on the, uh, the water there in South Beach. The Kings just could not knock anything down. The Miami Heat dared Sacramento to make threes. They implemented a 2-3 zone. With Bam Adebayo down low in the middle, it makes you think twice about attacking the basket. Maybe that's one of the reasons why De'Aaron Fox took as many threes as he did tonight and didn't get to the rim, which is something that I think he's been doing really well in recent games. I thought De'Aaron has done well to establish himself by getting that mid-range, by getting to the rim, and then allowing the three-point game to open up after that. Tonight... That really was the, wasn't the case. Now, this is a good example of some of the growth of the Kings to some extent, right? In the past, even going back to last season, if Sacramento was struggling to shoot the ball, typically defensively, they weren't doing enough to keep themselves in the game. And this speaks to maybe the gamble that Mike Brown is willing to take, right? Mike, is, Mike has the belief that his offense is capable of getting going like they did in the first half to where they can fall down by 18, 
But if they continue to fight defensively and work hard defensively, offensively they can put together a run like they did at the end of that first half to get them to within like four or six points at the halftime break. And then the Kings took the lead actually early on in the third quarter. They took a lead off of a pull-up De'Aaron Fox three-pointer, which gave him 123-point shots on the season. That is his career high for threes in a season, and he did that in only 39 games. Think about that. Last season, he had 119 threes in the season. That was the full season that it took him to get 119 threes. This year, he has 120 by January 31st. Just speaks to the three-point improvement of De'Aaron Fox. And as much as I want to focus on that and praise Fox for that, ultimately, De'Aaron was bad tonight offensively. He did not shoot the ball well. The Kings, in general, didn't shoot the ball well. If you have these many players struggling offensively, which is the primary strength of your Kings team, even if you're playing well defensively, even if you have good defensive moments, even if you're holding the Miami Heat to fewer points, then maybe they, 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 they should have scored. If you're not scoring, if you're not playing to your strength, this Kings team is always going to struggle. De'Aaron Fox tonight, 13 points, 4 of 16 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3-point range. Harrison Barnes, 9 points, 4 of 13 from the field. Now, believe it or not, I'm happy that he took 13 shots. He went 0 of 6 from 3-point range. A vast majority of those 3-pointers were wide open. They just weren't falling tonight. I guess we can excuse that a little bit with how hot that he's been. What I, what I like about this is that I think I noted either early second quarter or late first quarter. No, it was early second quarter. Harrison Barnes had played 13 minutes. He had zero points in those 13 minutes and was 0 of 2 from the field. He also only had like one rebound and nothing else. And I, I was like, here we go again. Here is the Harrison Barnes who is not involved, who is not getting his touches, is not getting his shots, and therefore isn't really doing anything else. The Kings have done a much better job through late January, certainly during that four-game win streak, of involving Harrison more. And he's rewarded them by hitting shots and having big offensive performances. I am okay with Harrison shooting 13 shots tonight. Would I have liked to see Keegan Murray get some of those shots? Sure, and we'll talk about Keegan in a second. He had a great game, but I have a bone to pick with how the Kings handled Keegan's great game. We'll get to that. But I'm okay with I would rather Harrison have a bad offensive night shooting 13 shots or shooting more than Harrison having a two-point night or four-point night by only taking four or five shots. At least you tried to get him involved. And usually if you're getting Harrison touches an opportunity on offense, even if he's not hitting his shots, for some reason, it encourages him to do more. Because even though he shot 4 of 13 from the field, 0 of 6 from three-point range, only scored nine points, he grabbed five rebounds, which you will take from HB, considering the amount of games where he's had three, two, or more often than not, one rebound, sometimes none. When Harrison gets his looks, typically he does more in other areas. Same thing can be said recently of Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter had 11 points in the first half was playing really really well he was scoring he was grabbing rebounds he was playing well on the defensive end or he was at least active on the defensive end of the floor he only scored three points in the second half he disappeared he kind of fell off and the king's offense fell off a little bit and then there's malik monk who's just in a funk right now six points three of eight shooting from the field oh four from three-point range three turnovers and here's the number that jumps off the page zero assists Zero assists for Malik Monk. That is unlike him. His decision-making with the basketball just hasn't been good. He's a little bit too chaotic right now. He's in a funk. And when both Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox are struggling, even if Keegan Murray and DeMontis Sabonis are playing well like they did tonight, 
this Kings team is going to struggle to win. But let's talk about Keegan Murray. 33 points, 7 of 11 from three-point range. That means the rest of the Sacramento Kings went 5 of 29 from deep. Thank God Keegan had a good night or the Kings would have lost this game by 30. Right? Keegan played very, very well. He also had five rebounds, a couple blocks, and a steal. Like a very good, engaged game by Keegan Murray. This is what he's capable of doing for you. But here's the problem that I have with this performance by Keegan. 21 points in the first half, right? He was scorching it in the first half. Eight of 11 from the field. In the third quarter, six points on only four shots. In the fourth quarter, six points on only three shots. Again, I know there are only so many shots to go around, and the Sacramento Kings want to try and get the ball to everybody. I just talked about how you got to get Harrison Barnes some of his looks and get Her uh, Keegan, or excuse me, Kevin Herter some of his looks so those guys can be more engaged in other areas in addition to shooting and scoring the basketball, which is their primary input or skill for this Kings team. There's only one basketball, only so many shots to go around, but you cannot go away from the hot hand as much as the Kings did in this game tonight. And this has been something consistent with Keegan Murray. Think back to the playoffs. Game five in Sacramento. Keegan Murray comes out, scores like 12 points in the first quarter, is on fire, does nothing the rest of the game. There's been two or three times this season, including tonight, where Keegan will be playing well, and the Kings just seem to go away from him. Now, I think part of this is on Keegan. We've talked about this before. I think Keegan needs to assert himself a little bit more and go, guys, I have the hot hand. The rest of you aren't, aren't shooting for crap. Get me the ball. But I'm also looking at Mike Brown. I'm looking at De'Aaron Fox. I'm looking at DeMontis Sabonis. I'm looking at the floor generals of this Kings team and going, get Keegan the ball. Run an offensive set for Keegan. Get him some looks. Now, I give credit to the Miami Heat. I do, because the Miami Heat are a good defensive team. They made defensive adjustments. So it's not like the Heat were just going to let Keegan continue to get the looks that he got. They adjusted, and they played well defensively. But I also think Sacramento played right into the Heat's hands by not involving Keegan and going to Keegan and looking for Keegan as much as they should have. Keegan needs to be more of an emphasis in, on the offense when he is going and shooting at the rate that he's shooting. And I think about, like, when Kevin Herter's having a good night, think about the amount of dribble handoff opportunities he gets when he's playing uh, with, with DeMontis Sabonis. When Harrison Barnes had back-to-back 30-point -back games, think about the amount of times that the Kings were getting him the basketball, whether it was in the corner for a three, on the wing for a three, or three straight possessions in Golden State where they drew up a, a post set for him, an isolation post set, so Harrison could score from the mid-range. The Kings made an emphasis to get Harrison the ball at those times. So why is the same not happening for Keegan when he is playing at the, uh, at the level and scoring at the level that he did tonight? And maybe I missed it. Maybe they did draw up more sets and Keegan just wasn't taking those shots or getting those opportunities where Miami was denying him the basketball. I might have to go back and watch the film, re-watch the game, and really pay attention to that in the second half. Either way, it is a failure on Keegan and it is a failure on the Sacramento Kings that they did not get him more involved when he was clearly the guy offensively that you needed to ride on a tough offensive night in a very winnable game where you were doing enough on the defensive end of the floor to get a win. Of course, we got to talk about DeMontis Sabonis, too. He had a great night, a historic night. Again, we'll talk about all the accomplishments. Plus, tomorrow, we hear about or we will learn who the NBA All-Star reserves are. I think DeMontis Sabonis should be a lock. I think De'Aaron Fox will end up being on the outs. And you know what? He's okay with it. We'll discuss all that here in just a second.
Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Quiz. What is Quiz? Quiz with three eyes is the next generation trivia experience. It's also the world's first platform where you can earn money by playing knowledge games. And for Locked On Kings fans, they've created NBA quiz games where you can test your knowledge and win real cash. You can play with friends or against other fans and let your knowledge shine all the way to the bank. Sacramento Kings fans, some of the most dedicated fans on the planet. I know you know ball, and I know you know your team's history. Now you can use that to make some money in a competitive and fun fashion. You can play without downloading anything. Just go to the app.quiz.com and start playing today. NBA Quiz is the ultimate knowledge challenge for fans that live and breathe basketball. Go to app.quiz.com to test your knowledge and win cash today. That's quiz with three eyes, just like a three-pointer. Play now, showcase your skills, and take home cash prizes. Again, app.quiz, Q-U-I-I-I-Z.com, where fans become champions. I need to get like a triple-double siren for DeMontis Sabonis and start playing it on this show every time he has a triple-double. I would do a double-double siren, but that means it would just be an annoying alarm sound every freaking day because DeMontis Sabonis gets double-doubles every freaking day. But tonight... 19 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists for Domas. It is his 13th triple-double of the season, which, of course, is second only to Nikola Jokic, and his 29th straight double-double, which ties for the second-longest streak in Sacramento Kings, or rather Kings franchise history. He's had seven triple-doubles in the month of January. I'm no expert on the rest of the league, I have to imagine that DeMontis Sabonis has to be in the top running for player of the month, Western Conference player of the month, because seven triple-doubles in this month, it's not only absurd, it's only been done by three other players in January in NBA history. Those three players are Oscar Robinson, Nikola Jokic, and Russell Westbrook. Once again, all these statistical categories, you have DeMontis Sabonis amongst Hall of Famers, some of the best to ever do it. Let me give you another example. This is his 17th career triple-double in which he's had 15 or more rebounds. That passes both Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. All these names that I can list off, doing things that only Wilt Chamberlain is doing, tying Oscar Robinson, beating Nikola Jokic, being Russell Westbrook, or tying both of them for... Uh, 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 triple doubles in January, passing Magic, passing Larry Bird. I mean, come on. This is what DeMontis Sabonis is doing, and yet for some reason, some people just call it empty calories, apparently, or or start talking about he only uses his shoulder. Shoulder, shout out 95.7 The Game. Shout out uh, The Morning Roast. I actually really enjoy that show and enjoy those guys. But DeMontis Sabonis just continues to not be looked at the way that he should be looked at, Right? A good example is, like, think about how people talk about Bam Adebayo. I really love Bam Adebayo. And there is definitely a part of me that would love to see Bam in Sacramento to see the Kentucky reunion of Bam, De'Aaron, and Malik Monk. You can add Trey Lyles in there for fun as well. But that, that Kentucky team comes back together in Sacramento. And in so many ways, Bam Adebayo is exactly what this Kings team needs. A very, very elite big man defender, right? There is no debate when it comes to who's the better defender between Bam Adebayo and DeMontis Sabonis. No debate. It's Bam Adebayo. 
100%. However, there is also no debate as to who is the better offensive center. And it's overwhelmingly in favor of DeMontis Sabonis. Again, putting up numbers that only some of the greatest players of all time are putting up. And if you don't want to talk about the NBA was different back then, how about putting up triple doubles for the second straight year, second to only a two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic, who people are calling statistically the greatest center of all time. That's what we're talking about here. Bam Adebayo belongs on all NBA defensive teams, right? All defensive teams, Bam Adebayo should be a first or second team basically every single year, right? Deserves to be there. DeMontis Sabonis belongs on all NBA teams, meaning the top 15 players in the league. That's where he belongs. And we know the difference between the two. I don't need to state it here. We know the difference. But when you hear people talk about Bam Adebayo compared to talked about Demonis Sabonis, one is universally more praised than the other. Granted, Bam has been on teams that have made it all the way to the NBA Finals, and he's a great defensive center. He's not the number one guy in Miami. He's never been the number one guy in Miami. Demonis Sabonis is not the number one guy in Sacramento. Arguably, he's playing like it and has played like it over these last couple seasons statistically, but we know this is De'Aaron Fox's team, and Sabonis kind of fills his role with Fox and with Keegan and with everybody he plays with. That's his game, is to fill and get other players involved, right? If you like Bam more than Sabonis, if you would pick to build your team around Bam over Sabonis, that's fine. And I think there's a lot of general managers in the league that would choose to do that, 110%. But based off the numbers and based off the success of teams and how involved they are in that team's success, Demonte Sabonis is a better center than Bam Adebayo is. But that's not how people talk about him. Let, I, I put together, and it's going to take me a second to pull it up because I'm poorly prepared here. But while this game was going on, because I started thinking about, like, so when Sabonis is talked about and compared to other centers, he's put on these NBA center tier lists, right? It's Jokic and Embiid are obviously ahead of him. I'm okay with that. I am. You're talking about two MVP caliber players. Yes, they're one and two. To me, Sabonis is 100% number three. But some people think Bam is there. Or Rudy Gobert is there. Or that's going to be Chet Holmgren's spot. I put together, here are the, or Anthony Davis, for example. He deserves in that, uh, to be in that number three spot. So I put together the games that Sabonis has played this season against the other top centers in the league. The names that I just listed. Back in, in October, October 29th, against the Los Angeles Lakers, who, of course, have Anthony Davis. DeMondis Sabonis, 12 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists in that game in a win. Against Chet Holmgren and the Oklahoma City Thunder on November 10th, DeMondis Sabonis, 17 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists in a win. Against the Los Angeles Lakers again on, on November 15th. Against Anthony Davis, 29 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists in a win. Sabonis has never lost to Davis before. Against the Minnesota Timberwolves and Rudy Gobert, the shutdown defensive player of the year center. On November 24th, Sabonis, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 blocks in a win. Against Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets back on December 2nd, Sabonis, 17 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists in a win. Against the Oklahoma City Thunder and Chet Holmgren again on December 14th, Demonis Sabonis, 18 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, in a win. And finally, on December 23rd against the Minnesota Timberwolves and Rudy Gobert, Demonis Sabonis, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. The Kings 
did lose that game. Of course, tonight, a triple-double against Bam Adebayo, who had 16 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. Good game for Bam. DeMontis Sabonis had a better individual game. The Sacramento Kings lost this game. Do we put that on him? No, because we put that on the, 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 the terrible shooting by Sacramento tonight and other guys not necessarily showing up and hitting their shots. This is what Sabonis does against the best centers in the league. The NBA acknowledges him, and NBA voters, thank God, acknowledge him as amongst the best centers because they put him as an all-NBA third-team center. Most people think the Kings or, or the NBA did that, and they had to do that because the Kings went from terrible to third seed last year. Fine. And we saw what happened in the playoffs, and everybody wants to discredit Sabonis for what happened in the playoffs. Fine. But right there, what I just laid out for you is every time Sabonis plays the best bigs in the league, he excels. Now, you might have noticed I mentioned or left off Joel Embiid there because when the Kings played the Philadelphia 76ers and lost, Joel Embiid didn't play in that game. So I didn't count it. I'm not saying that Sabonis would have outperformed Joel Embiid. In the, in the, time, in the game that the Kings beat the Denver Nuggets, Sabonis didn't outperform Nikola Jokic. But he still put up great numbers against the best center in the league, and the Kings won the game. That is what Sabonis does more often than not. In fact, almost every single time he plays the best centers in the league. That's what he's doing this season, and that's how he should be talked about. So tomorrow, we will find out on NBA on TNT, the All-Star Reserves. I think Sabonis should be a virtual lock. He should be. Like, all those numbers that I just lifted out, the fact that the Sacramento Kings are still definitely a, a good established playoff team, Sabonis is, is, should be a lock to be an all-star reserve. He absolutely should be. Chet Holmgren does not belong in there above him. Alperin Shangun does not uh, belong there above him. However, because the Kings are in fifth place instead of third place, which they were at at this point in time last season, I don't think they're getting two all-stars. There's a great case for De'Aaron Fox to make an all-star, even though he's been struggling as of late after that ridiculously hot start that he got off to this season, the amount of 30-point games and, and a few 40-point games that he's put up this year. De'Aaron Fox is averaging a career high in scoring, he's averaging a career high in three-point shooting, and he's averaging a career high in steals. Fox is improving. He has improved. He's continued to improve. So by logic, if you're getting better and you were an all-star last year, you deserve to be an all-star again. Everybody looks at the Sacramento Kings and everybody knows that De'Aaron Fox is the guy. But because of the amount of talent in the Western Conference and because the Sacramento Kings are in fifth instead of third, I don't think they're getting two all-stars this year. And you know what? De'Aaron Fox doesn't care. Check out the article by Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee tonight. De'Aaron Fox told the Bee he does not care if he's named an all-star or not. Now, I interacted with a few of you on social media when I retweeted and commented on that article. That bugs some of you. Some of you are like, I, I, I want my superstar to want to be on that big stage with all the rest of the superstars. I want him to, to believe that he belongs there. He does. But the, the all-star game is a circus. I want, and you want, him and Sabonis to get that recognition. We know that Keegan Murray is going to be playing in the Rising Stars game for the second straight year. Like We love that Keegan's getting that recognition. We, we want Malik Monk to play or, or to compete in the dunk contest because we want him to get that, that, rec, uh, that, that recognition. We want to see the Kings represented on that massive NBA stage for that All-Star weekend. That's what we want. But I went to All-Star uh, All weekend last year in Utah, Indiana. I'm telling you, 
It is boring. It's not fun. When I'm home, I barely watch the NBA All-Star Weekend. I'll maybe watch the dunk contest and three-point contest, whether there's a king in it or not. I'm excited to watch Steph Curry versus Sabrina Onescu. I'm, I'm very excited about that. That's going to be fun. That's going to be different. But All-Star Weekend is just pizzazz, and nobody takes it seriously. Nobody cares about it. It's glorified layup lines. It's boring. You have to take my word for it. Now, if All-Star came here to Sacramento, I would go, and Sacramento would show up and enjoy it and show out. But you'd also get to experience an All-Star game, and you'd go, okay, like I, I don't need to be here again. That's how De'Aaron Fox feels. And De'Aaron Fox is less motivated by recognition as an All-Star and more motivated by winning, making a deep playoff run, and putting himself in a position to, to, to potentially compete for a championship. Now, I certainly don't believe that the Kings are in a championship conversation at this point in time. Maybe they can get hot in the second half of the season and change my mind, but there's no reason to believe that right now. But that doesn't mean that Fox and the Kings aren't still trying to play for that and put themselves in a position. We've talked about and commented how De'Aaron Fox over the last month just hasn't looked the same, just hasn't looked right, not as fresh, not as spry, not as quick, not as explosive as he was to start the season. Maybe that's because of the ankle injury that he suffered. Maybe he's banged up. Maybe he's mentally exhausted. He has a baby at home, for God's sake. If De'Aaron wants to take this time to rest, recover, use that all-star break to actually get a break, which means he attacks the second half of the season and gets back to how he was at the start of the season, he's rested and he's ready and he's prepared and physically and mentally prepared for a deep playoff run to play through April into May and, and maybe eventually into June, I'm okay with that motivation. I'm okay with that. So if, if you're bothered by Fox saying he doesn't care about being an all-star or not, that's fine. I, I understand to some extent. But I think you're bothered selfishly. You're bothered because you want to see him represent the Kings on that stage, not because you want him to get that recognition or you want him to compete because in reality what we want from De'Aaron Fox is to lead this Kings team deep into the playoffs not to put up empty points in a glorified layup line all-star weekend boring game in Indianapolis today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp y'all therapy should not be taboo Therapy should not be a buzzword. Therapy should not be what you see in commercials and comedies and movies of someone lying on a couch staring at the ceiling while a weird lady or guy sits in the corner with glasses on his nose and scribbles down notes in a notepad while you pour out your deepest, darkest secrets and, and, and work your way through massive amounts of trauma. That's not what therapy is. Therapy is taking care of yourself. Mental health is just as important as physical health. You go to the gym to get healthy and work on your body and improve yourself in that way. Therapy should be looked at as the same thing. I've been seeing my therapist since COVID. My therapist, TJ, has helped me in tremendous amount of ways. He's helped me with my personal life, my marriage. He's helped me tackling uh, things in my past that I didn't realize weighed me down. He's helped me tackle issues at work, just the grind of the daily life. We all have baggage that we are carrying. All have stuff that we need to unpack. Nothing is too small to talk to a therapist about, truly, because they will help you discover little small things that are actually connected into one bigger problem. As soon as you tackle that problem, all those small things are easier in life to deal with. If you're thinking about starting therapy, 
Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient and flexible to meet your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. And if for any reason you want to change therapists, you can do so on BetterHelp without any additional cost. That's important because in order to have a successful therapy uh, experience and therapy journey, you have to be connected with the therapist, establish trust, establish a bond. BetterHelp is not going to penalize you if the one you get assigned to or the first one or second one that you choose is not the right one for you. That's happened. We're all human beings, right? We need to have that connection. Celebrate the progress that you have already made and celebrate the progress that you can make on BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnNBA. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all of you who celebrate, especially you San Francisco 49ers fans. From America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel, if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite foods and snacks, and placing some super awesome bet. FanDuel is one of the best ways to spend your Super Bowl Sunday. In addition to the food that you love, in addition to the game that you're watching, the friends that you're with, put more on the line. Make it more fun. Make it more engaging and more enjoyable. If you're like me, a Raiders fan, and you're sick of the idea of either the Niners or the Chiefs, winning in your building, right? Maybe make it a little bit easier for you and, and put some compensation on the line. Allow yourself to win big financially, even if you have to suffer one of those two celebrating in Allegiant Stadium. You can bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, of course, but FanDuel also has bets for which player will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Okay, we are eight days away from the NBA trade deadline. Eight days away. Business is going to pick up. In some cases, compared to a couple of weeks ago, business has kind of slowed down. Now, a couple kind of trade rumors or trade conversations that kind of popped up today that are worth discussing briefly, and we can have deeper discussions about this on another episode. The first one is Jimmy Butler trade odds came out, and the Sacramento Kings have the third highest odds to land Jimmy Butler. I think that's way too high. I'm surprised by that. Now, of course, Vegas tends to know more than I do, and I'm sure the Sacramento Kings are interested in Jimmy. In so many ways, the Kings would love to have Jimmy Butler on their roster, right? He would help so many things. Add their wing depth, add a leader, add a superstar, add a defender, add another scorer. Like, Jimmy Butler in so many ways, like, heck yes, get him in a Kings uniform. But in order to get something, you have to give something up. And the Kings have made it known that they're not making Keegan Murray available. I don't think the Kings are desperate enough or... or have a have a win-now window that's small enough that they have to trade Keegan Murray and mortgage their future as heavily as they would have to. We're talking Keegan and multiple first-rounders, or if you could convince the Heat to not take Keegan in that deal, you'd have to probably give up minimum four. I'm imagining five first-round picks in a trade like this, which I don't think Monty McNair and the Kings would feel comfortable doing and should feel comfortable doing. I just don't see it happening. So maybe you can get excited about the Kings having the third-highest odds and if you want to put money on it, you can. I think you're, you're lighting money on fire. I don't think Jimmy Butler is going to be a member of the Sacramento Kings. Kyle Kuzma, though. There's an article today in The Athletic via David Aldridge talking about something that we've known for a while, that the Kings have 
kept close tabs and been very interested in Kyle Kuzma for a while. They tried to trade for him a couple of years ago in the Buddy Heald trade that fell through. That was the trade that brought Russell Westbrook from the Wizards to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Kings were interested in signing Kyle Kuzma this offseason. Obviously, Kuzma elected to take the deal that he did to stay in Washington. Well, now here the Kings are again, reportedly still very interested in Kuzma as the trade deadline gets closer and closer. And what was interesting about this article is that it was reported that the Washington Wizards are asking for two first-round picks. They want better draft compensation or at least equal draft compensation to what the Toronto Raptors got in a Pascal Siakam trade. I said at the time when I heard that that I don't think the Wizards are getting that. It's nice to know that I'm right because according to this David Aldridge article, the consensus around the league is two first-round picks isn't happening for Kuzma. But maybe a first-round pick and, and some decent players and matching salary. Now, when we initially talked about Kyle Kuzma trades, we immediately involved Harrison Barnes in the trade conversation. According to this article, it mentions a trade package around Kevin Herter and Trey Lyles and a first-round pick in order to get Kyle Kuzma. You know how much I love Trey Lyles. I'd be very sad to see Trey Lyles go, but if that really truly improves the Kings team, I would let Trey Lyles go, of course. Trey Lyles is not a deal-breaker in this conversation. But I have questions. One... Would you do that deal? If it was a combination of, of Herder, Lyles, any extra filler that you need, although I don't know if you need to add filler on top of that, and a first-round pick, let's say it's top 10 protected for Kyle Kuzma, do you do it? I think a lot of people say yes. The other question, if you manage to land Kyle Kuzma here without trading Harrison Barnes, that means you're probably moving HB to the bench, right? You're keeping Keegan where he's at, and you're plugging uh, Kyle Kuzma in where Harrison is is the spot that Harrison's taken up. Now, that's intriguing because I think Harrison could be valuable for Sacramento off the bench. Obviously, given the Kings more wing depth is never a bad thing. Harrison probably gets more touches, gets more shots, and has more of an established offensive role in the second unit than he does as a starter. But you're replacing him with a player who is used to and expecting to get a far higher volume of shots than Harrison Barnes does consistently. A major conversation this season is there's only so many shots to go around. Now, Kyle Kuzma can't come to Sacramento and expect to get the looks and get the volume at the same level that he's getting in, in Washington. He has to come in and fill a role in Sacramento. But does that mean Keegan Murray takes a step back? If you're trading Kevin Herter in this deal, who are you starting at the two-guard spot? Is it Malik Monk? Are you putting Chris Duarte back in there for no reason? Do they go down to, like, no, uh, maybe Davion Mitchell starts that two-guard spot just for defense and doesn't shoot at all, and maybe all those Kevin Herter shots plus Harrison Barnes shots, go to Kyle Kuzma in the starting lineup? I think there would still be some growing pains and some questions, but Kyle Kuzma is on a good contract, and Kyle Kuzma does make this Kings team better. Absolutely he does. I lied. I have a third question, though. Does Kyle Kuzma make the Sacramento Kings a championship contender? Not right now, no. I don't think he does. Does he make them better? Sure. Do I think they're better geared for a deeper playoff run? Yes. A championship contender this year? No. A championship contender in future years as his contract gets better? Maybe, but that's not reliant on Kyle Kuzma. That's reliant on De'Aaron Fox continuing to improve. Keegan Murray continuing to improve. Harrison or uh, uh, Demontis Sabonis staying where he's at and either bringing Malik Monk back or replacing Malik Monk with someone just as important or even more impactful. And then, of course, shoring up the edges, improving your defense too. It makes the Kings a better team. But it's not like the Kings have to make a Kyle Kuzma move this year 
especially if they don't think that it puts them over the top, which reality, I think, or, or, or common sense says that it just doesn't. I think this is the only chance we have at a big move, quote-unquote, for the Kings this trade deadline. And I would not be opposed to them making it. But I'm realistic about my expectations of how much of an impact that would have. Again, we can have more of a conversation about Kyle Kuzma as the trade deadline gets closer and closer. If you want to share your thoughts on a Kyle Kuzma trade, maybe another trade that you have in mind. I love the idea of the Kings trying to go out and get Alex Caruso from the Chicago Bulls. We could talk about that. You want to talk about tonight's game, talk about Keegan Murray, De'Aaron Fox, not wanting to be an all-star or not caring about being an all-star. Feel free. Let's talk about it all. Reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. Email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. Leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. For now, I'm all done. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.